1 Samuel chapter 30. Uh, it's this familiar story about King David. How many have heard of King David? Yeah. David was an amazing uh, life. I, I love reading and studying about David. Um, but in chapter 30, he had a, a low moment. Uh, it was a really, actually, hard moment. And it's a story about a town called Ziglag. How many have heard of Ziglag? As that, is a, that is a powerful, powerful thing. So I want to just begin to open up and uh, read a few of these verses. And I just want to talk this thing out and see where the Holy Spirit takes us. It says here in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, David and his men reached Ziglag. Just say that again, Ziglag. And it was on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev in Ziglag. They had attacked Ziglag and they burned it. And they had taken captive the women and all that were in it, both the young and the old. They were killed. They were not killed, none of them, but they were carried off as they went on their way. So now when David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it and they destroyed it by fire. It was destroyed by fire. Their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I don't know anybody in this room ever been in that moment when you have cried and wept and you are so broken and painful that you don't even have tears to shed anymore. It said, David's two wives have been captured, Abigail and Anaheim, the widow of Nabal. And David was greatly distressed because the men now were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and their daughters had been taken. Mm. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And David said to Abathar the priest, son of Elimiak, bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue that raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Skip down, last passage, verse 17. And then David fought them, the Amalekites, from dusk until evening on the next day. None of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. And David recovered everything. Do you know how much everything is? It's everything. Everything. The Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Not one thing was missing. The young, old boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken. And David brought everything back. And he took all the flocks and the herds, and his men drove them ahead, the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Jesus, I just pray right now, for the next few moments, you would take over. That you would just begin to fill our hearts with the revelation of what you're speaking here to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and have your way. Meet everyone in this room where they're at right now, Lord. Do only what you can do. Enlarge and encourage their capacity to have faith in you today, Lord. 
We bless your holy name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this is the kind of the end of the story. So you got, before you can go to the end of the story, you got to go to the beginning of the story, right? So let me talk a little bit about David, because that's who we're reading about, right? David, the Philistines, Ziglag, the Amalekites. Well, I don't know about you, but I love David. I love the story of David. Do you know why I love the story of David? Because David was the underdog. You know, growing up in the 80s, my favorite movie was Rocky. I don't know if anybody ever watched Rocky growing up, but I loved Rocky. Maybe it's because I'm half Italian. Maybe it's because I lived in New Jersey for a while near Philadelphia, but I loved Rocky. I love watching Rocky take out Apollo Creed and Clubber Lang and the, the, the Russian. I mean, I loved it. But Rocky was the classic underdog story. He came from nothing, had nothing, and went against the toughest opponent and beat him and defied all the odds. David, come on, is a type of Rocky. He is the underdog. Now, you remember the story about David. A lot of you know, right? David, he didn't come from royal pedigree. He didn't have a royal bloodline. He wasn't a man of nobility. There was nothing that really had any attraction to him. He was a shepherd boy. He was in the shepherd, in the fields, watching over the sheep. But you remember the story. After King Saul lost it, the prophet Samuel, God told him, said, I want you to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons as next king of Israel. But look at David. He came from nothing. And even his own family didn't want anything to do with him. I mean, even his daddy, when, when the prophet Samuel, remember that story? He comes to the house. Bring all your sons here, Jesse. One of them's got to be the one. One of them has to be the one God's chosen. And they don't even call. They don't even text. They don't even tweet. They don't do nothing to get him to come to the meeting. They even excluded him out in the field. What's that tell us? That tells us, that tells me that, man, there was a family dysfunction going on. Anybody relate? Come on. So even his daddy didn't recognize him as his son. Let me put a pause button here. Some scholars believe, some scholars believe now, that because of this story in Psalm 51, when David cries out, he makes a statement in Psalm 51, and he says, even in sin, my mother conceived me. Some have interpreted that to believe that David was an illegitimate son, which would kind of fit because even his daddy didn't recognize him when he, the prophet said, bring all your sons. So it's very possible that David could have been an illegitimate child in that family dynamic. But the point is, his father didn't recognize him, and his brothers didn't want anything to do with him. He was despised and rejected even in his own family. And he was living in the fields, taking care of sheep, smelling like sheep and sheep poop. Let's be real. I mean, he stunk. <laughs> I mean, this was David. And then all of a sudden, when all of those sons didn't pass the test, even the Samuel was like, man, surely this is God's anointed. Surely this is the one. But God said to Samuel, look, I don't look on the appearance. I don't look at how good they talk. And I don't look at what they bring to the table. I don't see how many likes they have on their posts. I don't look at how popular that the people love. I don't look at all those things on the outside, the external, how well they dress, how fine they look. I look at the inside of the heart of a man. And I've rejected all them. And I chose David. Come on, man. Don't you love that story? 
And so David comes and he's anointed with oil. He is God's chosen. He is the king now. But guess what? Unlike Saul, his life does not take a similar journey, does it? When Saul was anointed as king and the oil came on him, the next thing we see is Saul entering in to the throne and he becomes king. But David doesn't work that way. When he gets anointed with oil from the prophet and is told, has a prophetic word that he will be king, his life takes a different projection. And it takes him to 11 to a 12-year period of basically pure hell on earth. He got his anointing there with Samuel, but he, he had a spiritual authority that came over him. But he didn't get his positional authority until 12 years later after he passed the test of Ziglag. Some of us want so bad to walk in that positional authority, and sometimes we forget how important the spiritual authority is. That only comes when no one's watching. That only comes when we're playing our heart to the Lord. And we're what I like to call building history with God. So David goes through this amazing, just complete test after test after test. One of the first things is Goliath. Remember the story? He takes a cloth and a cloth and a rock. He comes out of nowhere and he slays the giant Goliath. Y'all, that's the Philistines, y'all. That was like he was tall. He was big. Saul was shaking in his armor. The whole nation was scared. Nobody in the nation had the guts, had the boldness, had the courage to face the giant except David. And he did it with a rag and a rock. Didn't even need all five. Just needed one. Listen, David was a unique man. He was a man who wrote poetry. I tell you, you got to be in touch with your sensitive side. Write some poetry as a man. He was a worshiper. He was a musician. He understood melodic rhythm and melody. He could write poetry. He, he had that side to him. But David also had that quiet strength, I think. He was that cat in the room that was quiet, and, but you didn't want to mess with because if you got on the wrong side, he might rise up and stand you in your face. You see, David, take your head off your shoulders in a minute. He had a balance of meekness and humility with power and courage. Oh, I love talking about David. He went through so many trials. King Saul, you guys know the story, caught a hold of him. Saul didn't know what to do with him. He got jealous because he saw how the Lord was all around David. He saw how the people began to flock to him. He saw how people began to praise him and, and just follow him naturally after that moment in his life. He said, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Let me tell you something about jealousy. Don't ever entertain it. If you find yourself ever struggling with jealousy... Do something to get rid of it. Pray, ask the Lord. Because here's the deal. The Bible says jealousy, where jealousy is present, every evil practice and order will be. In the case of Saul, his jealousy, because it was unchecked and unhealed, actually led to him taking a spear and trying to pin David to the wall. It altered his behavior. And it will alter ours too. David had to go through that test and still submit because that was his king. Matter of fact, he married his daughter. That became his father-in-law. Now it's like a Jerry Springer show. Ha! 
So now it's just chaos in the family. Saul comes after David. Not once, but twice he tries to kill him. Tries to murder him. And David just keeps fleeing. Now he makes a covenant with his son Jonathan. They become best friends. But even, even Jonathan is tested when he realizes Saul wants to kill him and threatens to kill his own son Jonathan if he sides with David. What a dynamic. David had to go through all of those tests. So when that time came in his life, you know what happened? He said David had to flee from Israel, had to go into the desert to hide. Good Lord. Had to go in the desert to hide. You know what it tells me? That man was homeless. He didn't have a permanent shelter over his head. So now he's running for his life. You, let me tell you something. Do you, do you, I don't know if anybody's ever been there before. I know I've been there in certain ways. But have you ever lived in your life, whether it was your choosing or, or just it just happened that way, where you always got to look like this and look over your back? I don't know. I did for a long time. You had to, but that was in my, when I was in my drug days and drug culture. When you're in drug days and addiction, lying is like the air you breathe. So every time you lie, you've got to keep up with the lie. Or if not, then you'll forget and everything will be messed up and then you'll be in trouble. But living that kind of lifestyle, you're always like this right here. You're always looking behind. And it's exhausting. Point is, it's exhausting. So this was an exhausting time in David's life. He's running from Saul, looking behind his back, has to go through all of that. He gets into the cave of Adullam, though. And the Bible says when he gets into the cave, something begins to happen. You know what happens? People start finding him in the cave. They said men that were disgruntled, discredited, and discouraged. That sounds like a winning team, doesn't it? <laughs> All found him in the cave, and they made David their leader. And so here he is, David, in a cave. He's homeless, and now he's got hundreds of men in their families that are willing to be homeless because they can't stand Saul's leadership, and they want to get out from that. And they go into this cave, and they gather around somebody because why? They're, he's carrying something. And they recognize it. Bible says he teaches them the fear of the Lord in that cave. He begins to pour and train in to these men and these women, raising them up in a bond, a covenant, a friendship is formed between David and this ragtag army. So now they're rolling together. Bible says they start going and they're still fighting, taking down Philistines everywhere they go. Saul hears about it. Here's another test. He comes to get David, but guess what happens at this point? David eludes him. He sees Saul lying there. Now what happens? This is a test, y'all. All he has to do is take his sword and kill Saul. And even his own men now, who have formed a bond with, are saying, David, this is a sign from God. He has given your enemy into your hand. Why don't you end his life so that you can make our suffering better, so that you can bring our families and you can bring our whatever we got here into a place of freedom where you will reign over us and king and we'll follow you and we'll have your back. Oh, my goodness. Are you strong enough to stand that test, y'all? That's the pressure that comes in everyone in this room at some point in their life. And the test is, are you going to snatch and take your destiny in your own hands, or are you willing to wait until God brings it to you? God, no, what a test. David passed that test, not once, but twice. Whew. Not once, but twice. But now we're going to get to the gritty of it. 
we come to Ziglag. Now we come to Ziglag. At this time, David is running from Saul. He has this thought. I don't know if this was God or not. Don't want to go there. But he has this thought. It's in the Bible. If I go hide in the land of the Philistines, then Saul won't run after me and I'll be safe. And he does that. He connects with the Philistine king. The king loves him, even though David's been killing his people all these years. He loves him, and he begins to fight another group, a mutual enemy called the Amalekites. So when David begins to send raiding parties against the Amalekites, the king of the Philistines loves him. So he brings him into the royal city. And David goes, listen, I don't want to be here with y'all, basically. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not a Philistine. But just give us a piece of land that we can, we can, me and my men can dwell in in peace. And he assigns him Ziglag. 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 Why is that important? You know, it was in Philistine territory. I don't have a map. But to show you why that's important is because the Philistine territory of Ziglag originally did not belong to the Philistines. You know who it belonged to? The tribe of Judah. The book of Joshua. God gave the tribe of Judah that land, but because, listen to me now, they were unable to drive out the Philistines from the land, they always had a place in the land, and they could never get rid of them. You know, the Philistines are descendants of Enoch. What is that? It's the giants. Genesis 6 calls them the Nephilim. They were the giant race. They were an ancient bloodline. That's where the Philistines come from. But when, remember the report in Joshua's day? The spies in the land, they were afraid to death. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. And they were scared to death. And God said, go, I'll be with you. But they looked at the size of these people. And they're like, I can't fight that. We're not going to fight that. And they never fought them. And you know what happened? They could never get rid of them. And when Saul came, he was terrified. Saul fought every other army in, against Israel but the Philistines. Saul was terrified of the Philistines. Nobody fought the Philistines except David. Now, the question I have for you is, what does the word Philistine mean? I stated I couldn't believe it. The Hebrew meaning for the word Philistine, are you ready? It means to wallow in. I need some help, y'all. It means to wallow in or to roll in self. That's what the name means. To wallow in or to roll in self. In other words, it means to have self-pity. <laughs> Anybody ever struggled with self-pity? Wouldn't it be like God that the enemy that Israel could not drive out, the only enemy they could not drive out was the enemy of self-pity that is feeling sorry for yourself when everything in your life goes wrong and you want to blame everybody. Come on. Sometimes the giant isn't, I'm going to commit a sexual adultery act or I'm going to use crack or drugs or I'm going to do the obvious sin. No. Sometimes the giant in the land is trying to win the battle over yourself and quit feeling sorry for yourself so you don't go down to that place of depression and isolation. Am I, am I talking to somebody this morning? Huh? This is the Philistines. David wasn't afraid of them. But he now had land. He had Ziglag in their territory. 
So now he's sitting there in the, in the zigzag, and he's up with the king of the Philistines. All of a sudden, he comes back after a three-day journey, and he finds the whole town is ravished. Everything is gone. What happened? The Amalekites came in the door. The Amalekites. Who were they? Let me tell you about the Amalekites. They were a fierce people, and they were hard. You know why they were hard and fierce? It's because they did not fight fair. They didn't hit you like the Philistines, Goliath taunting them, come on out to the front. No, they went to the back when they were gone, and they prayed on the weak. And they took the children and the women when they weren't looking. Woo! You see, Ziglag is that place that you come to in your life when you follow Christ, where everything begins to fall apart. And you're fighting the battle over here. And then meanwhile, the enemy is coming and taking your children into drugs and taking your marriage down and destroying your life. And you're pressed on every side and you don't know what to do because you cannot feel your way out of it. You don't hear God and it is a dangerous, dangerous place. I'm talking about Ziglag this morning. Has anybody ever been to Ziglag? When you go to Ziglag, you got you to get that picture. Let's go there. Here comes David and the men. They're exhausted, y'all. They've been on the run for 10 years. They've been homeless. They've been following this man everywhere. They're exhausted. They just come back from a battle, and they see there's no welcoming committee. All the women are gone. There's no playing in the streets of the children. Their tents are collapsed. There's no bread baking. There's nothing there in the camp. It's all gone. It's an empty feeling. It's the lowest point of David's life. And you know what makes it so low? It said that the men, this wasn't his enemies. These were his followers. Took up stones. 600 of them. And they were getting ready to hurl them at the man they had been following for 10 plus years. David was at that place where there was no hope. There was no sign of a breakthrough. There was nobody to encourage him. There was nobody there to help him. It was a place where he was all alone in that moment. It was a place that was dark it was a place that was not fun. It was a place where many men and women in the house of God and in church today would break, crumble, and fall. It was in a place where even God himself didn't seem real anymore. And David, I could see as he bent down, trying to find some kind of comfort. Men got stones right behind him. But the Bible says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Has anyone in this church ever had to strengthen yourself in the Lord? Has anyone in this place online ever had to strengthen yourself in the Lord when no one there to give you strength? 
His daddy didn't do it. Your mama won't do it. Your kids won't do it. Your job won't do it. A paycheck won't do it. Nothing will do it. You got to find strength from somewhere. You got to strengthen yourself in the Lord when you're at Ziglag. There's no other way. I'm convinced. There's no other way. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself. You all don't understand what I'm getting ready to tell you about strengthening yourself in God. The word strengthen or encourage in the Hebrew literally means to cleave. To cleave. It means to pull away and leave one thing in order to be joined to another. Let me say that again. It means to pull away from one thing and to be joined to another. It's the word cleave in the Old Testament, the context. Adam and Eve, a man shall leave his family and cleave to his spouse. I'm going to show you something real quick. Go with me. This one last passage. John, the book of John. The book of John, hang with me there. We're going somewhere now. John chapter 19. Let me tell you about someone else who was at Ziglag. His name was Jesus. It wasn't just the garden. It was on the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 25, the same word, cleave, is used here in the Greek of what Jesus is doing in the transaction with his family. He's on the cross, Jesus beaten, dying, getting ready to die. Mutilated flesh, hanging on that tree. It says in John 19, verse 25, near the cross, Jesus stood, his mother stood there. Highlight this, his mother's sister. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. Why is that important? Because Mary of Cleopas, who was Mary's sister by blood, her husband's name was Zebedee. How many have ever heard of Zebedee? So Zebedee had two sons. You know them as James and John. James and John, the sons of thunder, were first cousins to Jesus by blood because Mary, the mother of Jesus, was their aunt. Listen what happens. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, behold, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Before this, in the other account, we know that we know Jesus, he makes a statement. My God, my God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And after that, he makes this statement. Right after this is he gives up his spirit and he dies. The question is, what is that transaction all about? Listen to me very carefully. Jesus, 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 Jesus who grew up 30 years in this earth, who had a lot of the normal life until he reached his ministry. He had a bond with his human family. His mama, Mary, his half-brothers, cousins, they had a close-knit bond. 
Don't you know that there were memories that Jesus had? He remembered his mama. I believe he had a human side. I believe his mama had to change his diapers. Treat his bruises and scars when he fell down. He, she had to tell him about his life, how different he was. About what happened when the angel visited her and Joseph. Telling him stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know she had to tell him the story about David at Ziglag. But let me tell you something. Jesus, when he was on that cross, there was a time and a moment where God himself left. God himself, the Father himself. Why is that important? Because Jesus' strength relied on the relationship he built with his Father. It relied on the consistency of the prayer meeting him and his daddy had. Remember, the son could do nothing of himself, only that which he sees the father doing. Everything Jesus taught, said, and did, he did as a result in the command and the comfort of the relationship he had with his daddy. But what happened when that was gone? And he couldn't find strength in his father anymore. What kept him on that cross? I'm going to tell you what kept him on that cross. He looked down and said, Mama, Mama, behold your son. Son, behold your mama. And what happened in that moment is Jesus cleaved and he resisted the temptation to feel sorry for himself and his bad day and everything that had happened. He resisted that. He left that and he joined to his destiny. Come on. When you cleave, you leave one thing and join to another. When David was at Ziglag and he strengthened himself in the Lord, he left the temptation of feeling sorry for himself, capturing attention around him, girded his loins and said, Devil, you ain't done. I'm not done with you. There's fight left in me. Strengthened himself in the Lord and he joined himself to the prophecies from the past. Whoa. What are you saying? You want to know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord when you find yourself at Ziglag? It depends on how much history you made with God in the past. That you can't listen to me. You can't borrow somebody else's. You can't read about it. You can't go to a conference about it. Nobody can put the anointing on you. It's only what you got. And God has. That's how you make it. Oh, I'm talking to somebody this morning. I'm talking to somebody this morning. I feel it. Mm. He strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He remembered that Samuel came and put that oil on him. He remembered when his daddy counted him out. His brothers didn't want nothing. He remembered when God broke through in the field when no one was watching. He remembered the times when God would give him refreshing and he encouraged himself in the Lord. There comes a time in your life when God will remove himself from you. He will remove himself from you. And he's going to watch you to see how you will respond. 
And the only way you cannot draw strength from heaven, you can't draw it even from the present relationship. You have to go back to the history that you made with God because there is a power in the memory that you had with God that gives you energy to break through and break through and break through. Jesus. Come stand up right now. Stand up with me. Stand up. Just give the Lord a praise. Give him a praise right now. Give him a praise. Give him a praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him for that check in the mail. Thank him for that check in the mail. Thank him for the tears that roll down your face. Thank him. Thank him. Jesus. 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 Oh, Jesus. Oh, Ziglag on one hand is a terrible place, but on the other hand, to him who overcomes, it is the door to destiny. You can be seated. We're in a prophetic moment in history right now where I think everyone in this room, I think to some degree, has had a tough year in 2018. And like you, myself, I long and I want to run to the promise and the thought of a new beginning. A new beginning. A new season to get me out of this wretched season. But hear the word of the Lord. You can't go on to your new beginning until you properly close the season behind you. Jesus could not go to his destiny until he closed down the season on earth with his mother and left the next eldest in charge of the family. See, when you do that and you go back now to the past to close the doors you need to close, it sows seeds of the future. It, it sows your destiny. It, it opens the future. And a lot of people don't want to go to the past because it hurt. I don't want to live there and dwell there. Of course not. But some things, in some ways, you got to. Or you will not go back to the future. So now, David whoo, rallies himself. And gets the men rallied. And they go on a raiding party. And they are going to whip some Amalekite tail. And the Bible says they go after them. But you know what happened? Still half the men were exhausted. And half of his army could not cross a river. And they had to sit there. Let me tell you. Some folks can't follow you all the way on your journey. Let me tell you why. Because it's not meant to be that way. 
some relationships, they just cannot follow you on your full journey. They can't make it. They're not built. Listen to me. Some folks are not built and designed to go after disappointment, after disappointment, after disappointment, after disappointment, after confrontation, after conflict with no end inside. Some people can't handle the pressure. But David doesn't condemn them. Neither does God. He loves them. He says it's okay. I'm going to go and I'm going to get the plunder for you anyway and give it back when I come back. Woo! Does anybody hear that? God. Be thankful for who God brings in your life. Honor them. Love them. Walk with them. Try not to judge them. Let God love on them. And David went and remember what the word says. And David recovered all. Somebody say all. all. David recovered all. The word here this morning is that you have to find strength when you have no strength left. And how you do that is you leave the present temptation to feel sorry for yourself and to go into the place of self-pity because of all of the bad things that have happened in your life. And rather you join yourself to what God has spoken to you and you join yourself to your destiny and watch what God will do. You will begin to move into a place where you recover all that has been lost. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you are getting ready to go into a moment where your children are coming home. Your sons and daughters are coming home. They brought the children home. They came home. The prodigals returned. The plunder came home. The checks that had been delayed, the doors that had been stopped, the resources that couldn't come through were now flowing. Because David recovered all. Oh, my God. And Jesus, our king and our champion, after he gave up his spirit on the cross, recovered all. Mm. Jesus. Praise him. Praise him, Jesus. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Just go ahead and start playing, guys. I want to invite everybody to stand. Come on, just come behind me. Just don't stop right there. I think that the Lord loves it. We got to strengthen ourselves. In the Lord. Some of you are weary. Some of you have been broken. Some of you have been battling. Battle after battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. But God is saying to you this morning, you will recover all if you remember my faithfulness. Because there's sometimes it's the only thing that's going to get you through is looking back to see what you made with God. Oh, there's been many times I think people in this room wanted to throw the towel in. You wanted to bail. You wanted to give up. You wanted to quit. Rightfully so. You've been attacked by so many areas and ways. But you have to remember that time, y'all, when God moved. I know it's been a battle for a lot of people this year. People, it's been a year of loss for so many people. 
But the Lord wants you to remember, He owns it all. He owns it all, and you will recover all. I remember in some hard times that I faced this year, I found myself feeling sorry for myself. I found myself mentally going there. God, you've not done this. God, this hasn't happened. God, why hasn't this came forth yet? God, what happened here? What happened there? God, what's going on? Lord, what? I don't understand. I don't hear you. And guess what he said to me? Nothing. He said nothing. I couldn't feel him. I couldn't feel my way out of it. I couldn't hear my way out of it. I couldn't fast my way out of it. I couldn't pray my way out of it. I was setting aside time. I was spending intimacy with the Lord, worshiping and loving Him in the secret place. Still nothing. And I began to get so discouraged. And then you know what I began to do? As I began to dust off the old journal books. And I began to see prophecies and prophetic words in my phone that had been stored up. And I begin to review the record over my life. And I remembered, I remembered, listen to me very carefully. I remembered one thing. I have history with God. And I can say that with confidence. I have history with God. And because I had history with God, He brought me through Ziglag. You have history with God. If you don't, today's the day to make it. Today is the day to make it. Just begin to close your eyes with me. Let's, let's take a moment.